0: Okay, we're in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17, and if I I get there, we'll be there, and this is going to be part two tonight of our message that we started this morning. We were looking at the five points of Calvinism under the uh, heading of the tulip, and each each letter of the tulip has uh, a meaning in Calvinism. That's not what you're studying in your Sunday school lesson, so that's why I'm preaching this tonight. You want to look at specific words in your Sunday school lesson. And so this morning, this evening, I've looked at f- uh, five points. The first two were this morning. But just, just a kind of a review of this morning. Uh, two things. We looked at blood and election. And the blood was shed before any of us ever lived. Okay. On the other hand, it was shed long after Abraham had died. Okay. The blood is applied by faith. And so, when we get saved, the blood of Christ is applied by faith. It is not applied before then. You're not regenerated, then saved. You're saved, and regeneration takes place the moment you receive Christ as your Savior. Election also took place before the foundation of the world. Isn't it interesting that in the book of Revelation, the book of endings, you might say, the doctrine of last things, we read about uh, the Lord saying, I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Well, don't we believe in once saved, always saved? Yes, we do. So, how would he blot anybody's name out of the book of life? Because... When you were born, you were born with your name in the book of life. God was giving you the opportunity, whosoever will. You die without Christ, your name is blotted out of the book of life, and therefore, election is not applied to you, okay? Election is only applied at salvation, just like the blood was applied at salvation. Not before then, not since then. It was applied the moment you were received Christ as Savior, as was election. So, that's where we ended this morning. So, after T of the tulip, which was total depravity, U, which was unconditional election, next we see L, limited atonement. I'm going to knock that off, I know. Uh, unlimited atonement. Now, again, the teaching, as we said with the first point, the teaching, these are things that I I didn't get from anybody that believes like I do. These teachings are from Calvinists. Unfortunately, when they wrote, for example, on total depravity and, and the idea of unconditional election, they wrote about six, seven, eight pages on each. So I was not going to read six or seven or eight pages on each. So I summed it. So it is my summation of things that Calvinists actually wrote on this. Now, so, on limited atonement, this is their teaching. Christ died positively and effectually to save a certain number of hell deserving sinners on whom the Father had already set his free electing love. The Son pays the debt for those elect ones makes satisfaction for them to the Father's justice, and imputes his own righteousness to them, so that they are complete in him. Now, my answer begins with this, and it's really not my answer. It's the answer of the Word of God. What does First John 2, verse 2 state? And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Now, the word pro, uh, propitiation means the entire payment for all time. That's what it is. It's paid in full, paid, paid completely. Everything is paid off. So he is a propitiation for our sins. Now, if that's where it stopped, we'd say, okay, we that were left, it was paid for our sins. That's not where it stops. But not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And he says, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, when I think about this payment for all, why would we not accept God's holy breathed words of also for the sins of the whole world. You see, that word also is a connective word. If God created hell, and he did, Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 says this, uh, that hell was created for the devil and his angels. And it teaches that he punishes all sin, That is not under the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words the devils don't have any payment for their sin. They could not be saved. They had a greater light. They had an opportunity. They rebelled when they were with God. But we have to accept him by faith. The angels could never accept him by faith. Because they knew him already. They could not accept Christ by faith. We accept him by faith. So again. Uh. uh, The Lord paid for the whole world. So if he paid for all sins for all time. Why didn't he want those people that he paid their sins for them in heaven? Does that make sense? I mean, if he already paid for their sin, all sin for all time of men. And then all of a sudden he doesn't want them in heaven. He doesn't. He doesn't want them to get saved? That doesn't make sense. Okay. And uh, by the way, we have a sensible God. All right. And what pleasure would there be in for God for unsaved souls to go to hell? What pleasure would there be in that? Ezekiel thirty-three eleven says this. I say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord... I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye. Same as saying, repent. Turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Now, isn't the wicked the unsaved people? Well, of course, the wicked would be unsaved people. Now, if this is unsaved people, that makes me wonder, is he preaching the opposite of what he just said? If the wicked, if somebody is already, if you're without Christ, in his eyes, you're wicked. And, and if you're, he says, why would the wicked, uh, Die, you know, turn, turn, turn. He, I don't have any pleasure in your death. So why, if we were created for his pleasure, would he want them to go to hell and elect them to go to hell? It doesn't make sense. Uh, and it'd be a crazy thing to say. It'd be a dumb thing to say. Why would you die in your sin? Well, if you were elected to die in your sin, you're going to die in your sin. Israel was elected of God. There are those who believe in what they call replacement theology. That is, they don't think that uh, Israel should be in the land because they fell, and now God no longer recognizes them. He, he's elected others to, in that place, and so they should not be in the land of Israel. It doesn't belong to them. However, 2 Samuel chapter 7, God who does not lie, I hope you believe that he does not lie because he does not lie, God who does not lie gave this land to David forever. David was of Israel forever. It's going to be restored to them in the millennium whether people like it or not. God will re-establish it. Now, I know that Martin Luther and John Calvin both were down on Israel. They didn't like them even being in the land. So in saying that, if you believe the same way as Calvinists do, that puts you in the camp of AOC in the squad, okay? Uh, just want you to know who your friends are, all right? Now, we know by the book of Genesis, besides other places in the Bible, God elected Israel going through the first through Abraham in Genesis 15, then Isaac in Genesis chapter 26, and then Jacob, who is Israel, in in Genesis chapter 35. Matter of fact, uh, we did a Sunday school series, Lessons I Wrote, there on our website, centralbaptistocala.org, and if you look down the left side there, you'll see booklets by Andy Bloom. And if you click on that, it'll take you there. And you can see the one on Israel. There's five lessons on Israel has God has preserved it for them. Okay, so we, we've got that. We're not going to go into that tonight. But was election of Israel speaking of salvation to them? That is, if you're born an Israelite, you're saved no matter what. Well, Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6 says it this way. He says uh, in 196, in uh, Ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Now let's remember again priests speak unto God for people, and they speak unto people for God. That's the way it works. Okay, that's the way God ordained it. So why change the meaning of priest? As saved people today, we have the same calling. See, Israel was to take the gospel, the good news of God to the world. They didn't. They didn't do that. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Verse 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you Out of darkness into his marvelous light. So this shows the spiritual, the holy, out of darkness into light. Again, in verse 5, when he said spiritual sacrifices, that's unto God. Okay. In verse 9, when he's there talking about, uh, uh, he speaks about to the world, uh, going to the world, he's talking about, okay, show forth from the darkness to the light. He is showing them the witness, you're speaking to men now from darkness to light. you're calling them to repent. That's what Israel was called to do in Exodus 196. that's what you and I are called to do today as saved people. That's our priesthood. that's our election. We were called to do that. we were t- called to carry that out. as saved people, you and I have that calling. Salvation, then, as our text said in Revelation 22:17, 17, again, when you read there, he says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. We pointed out this morning, reading verses 16 through 20, that the, Jesus is speaking. He said, I, Jesus, if he said, I, Jesus, he meant, I, Jesus, I'm saying these things. If Jesus said it, I believe it. That, that's the bottom line for me. If Jesus said it, I believe it. Whether it is for anybody else, that's my bottom line. Now, so, uh, our text said, Whosoever will, whosoever heareth, whosoever's is athirst, he said, even the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the bride, the saved, the local church, we are taking this offer... To the world. That's our job. That's why when you read First Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you're washed, how, by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're sanctified, that is, you're set apart for God's use by the Spirit of God. But you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Now, how can such a vile, debauched, and deranged people who are addicted to these things be saved from their sin in both the penalty and the power of those sins over them? The power of Jesus Christ, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, the blood of Jesus Christ is unlimited. So by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Acts 4, 12, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. I don't believe that he would say whosoever will so many times just to deceive you. There is a father of deceits, and it's not Jesus. That old deceiver is called the serpent, the devil. He's the father of deceits. So he wouldn't tell you this one thing to deceive you so you won't get saved. No, he says whosoever, whosoever, whosoever. So, the next thing the two look after total depravity, unconditional election, and and limited atonement, we next see i irresistible grace. Now, what is the teaching there by them of irresistible grace? Well, what I've again condensed down from the many writings, when a gospel call goes out in a church or a personal witness or even just reading the word, Not everyone becomes convinced of sin and his need of Jesus. That means there were two calls, the outward call and the inward call. The outward call is that of the pastor, and the inward call is that of the Holy Spirit working through those words. If the person is elected, he will hear the call. The Holy Ghost has regenerated him so he can't resist the call to repent and believe, calling on the Lord to save him or her. It is irresistible. Now, I have received emails. And it's from Calvinists who say, you agree that we are born spiritually dead, don't you? Yes. Yes. We're born spiritually dead. That, that's the teaching of the Scripture, by the way. So, uh, no, I don't deny that. We are born spiritually dead. Then they go on to say, and this one particular said, Look, I was an officer in Vietnam. I, I examined dead bodies. I touched them. I talked to them. Never one responded to me at all. Because they were dead. You can't be saved because you have a dead spirit unless you're regenerated first, and then your spirit is alive to hear the word of God. That's what they say. Now, so he went on to let me know how ignorant I was not to realize that. He says, if they are dead, you also have a dead spirit. You cannot respond without regeneration first. Well, they totally misunderstand what the word death means. Death means separation, not cessation. And we're going to see the ignorance of that in just a few minutes of of believing something else. It's separation, not cessation. They totally misunderstand what the second death is. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. See, the first death is not talking about your body dying. The first death is talking about your spirit being separated from God. The second death is your spirit being eternally separated from God in the lake of fire. Okay? So, again, there is a difference. So, the person, if a person goes to the eternal lake of fire... He never ceases to exist. That person never stops cursing God. He's tormented from the flame. Death does not mean cessation. It is separation. And the body that we have now is not eternal. We were made in God's image. God is a spirit. So this spirit will be clothed with the glorious body because I'm saved. One day when I'm called up to be at the Lord, I will have a body fashioned like unto his glorious body in heaven. Philippians 3.20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working, whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself." Look, Jesus, when he was on earth before his crucifixion, he could hunger, he could thirst. When he was crucified, he could physically die. His body could feel pain. His body could bleed. But when he rose up from the dead, he was able to pass through windows that were closed and doors that were locked. He was able to Uh, appear to Mary and go to heaven, then come back and appear to the disciples in another spot. Very quickly. You see, he had the glorified body. I don't know what that body is, but when the man was talking to John in chapter 21 of Revelation, John is so overwhelmed when he sees this man talking to him. The Bible says angel, but then angel means messenger. This was a particular messenger. Because when he's, he's there, he sees this, all this greatness of heaven, this beauty and everything else. He bows down to worship this guy and he says, don't worship me. I am of thy brethren, the prophets. Other words, he wasn't an angel like you and I think of an angel. This was a man who had been risen from the dead. John had this vision of him, and he got a glimpse of the body that God is going to give us. It's passion-like unto his glorious body. The man in hell has a physical body that feels the carnal body's pain, this hopelessness. One second after they die, that's it. One second after I die, I'm in God's presence. But one second after they die, they're in hell's presence. The body lying in the grave is waiting for a change. The saved man likened to his glorious body. The unsaved man, a body that will never be able to disintegrate in the lake of fire, but fill everything that a fire would put upon them. And to be tormented night and day forever and ever. Now, to say the dead now cannot respond because they are dead. Let's carry that out logically using their arguments. If a dead spirit can't respond, then hell won't mean anything to them because their dead spirit is dead. It can't respond, it can't feel anything. It's a spirit, it's dead. You see, it falls apart using their own language. It falls apart. They say a spirit can't talk, it can't feel. Well, remember, if that's true in this life, it's true in hell as well. So why have a hell if a person can't respond? Kind of eliminates the story of the rich man in hell, doesn't it? He's he's talking, he's praying, he's asking. He's asking for people of his family that haven't died yet to send somebody from the grave that they might be saved. Now, we have a spirit that's separated from God. It's not ceased to exist. That's what death means, separation. When Adam sinned, his body didn't die that day. We ought to be able to understand that. He lived over 900 years after his sin. So since his body didn't die, then the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Did he die that day physically? No. But that day he was separated from God, but he still had a free will and he could make decisions to either do what God tell, told him or not do things God told him. He could make decisions about life. The man in hell is uh, going to realize He's in eternal torment in a lake of fire. That spirit is going to live forever because it was made in God's image and God's spirit will never die. So we go with God's truth, God's wisdom, not the philosophical meanderings of religious men who use $50 words to try to impress you. Not when we have God's truth. We have God's truth, so why should I be discouraged by men? Now, I had a Calvinist professor who told me that, uh, well, and he he told me, he's a five-point Calvinist. He says, I don't really believe in irresistible grace. I believe in prevenient grace. I said, what is prevenient grace? Well, he said, it can be resisted. But if you're elected before you die, you will accept it. Um, I hate to tell them this, but that is still irresistible grace. If some way you're going to get saved anyway, that's still irresistible grace. So assigning another name to get people off your back doesn't change it. But there's this one question. The Bible tells us how to get saved. The Bible tells us how to live holily. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So if that's what the Bible says about a Holy Spirit-controlled and filled man, then the Bible tells us things about a Holy Spirit-controlled man. These things are true of him. The Bible speaks of how to conduct a church. It's given us offices for the local church, pastor, deacons. It's given us other things for the local church. So, he's given those things for the local church. The Bible tells you about marriage. We did a five-part series on marriage. The Bible tells you about raising your children. When we want to know things about raising children, go to the Bible. Want to know things about marriage? Go to the Bible. Okay? So, again, the Bible tells us about all things of life. Whether it's conducting your family or whatever, it tells us about life and eternity. Now, I've been with Calvinists that when they go through the plan of salvation, they, go, they would go through it just like I would. In presenting the plan of salvation on somebody how to get saved. As a matter of fact, I went over the plan of salvation with a man that at first I did not know that he was a Calvinist. He was working in his yard. I went up and started talking to him. And I went through the plan of salvation. And then he told me, he says, you know, he was from the hard shell Baptists they call him. And, and he said... uh he, he was Calvinistic, and he said, I, I, I'm, I'm saved. And I says, do you know you're saved by these words I just shared with you from these verses? By these verses, you know you're saved. He said, yes. Yes, he says, I know I'm saved by these verses. I did what the Bible said there, and I am saved. Now, if I can know that I'm saved by the word of God, what about verses? I mean, The Bible tells us how to live life, it tells us about uh, diet, it tells us about so many things of life, morals, everything else, and how to be saved. And the Calvinists would agree with me, that's how to be saved. So if the Bible tells me all those things, then what verse can I read that when I read that I would know I'm elect? And that guy could read the same verse and know that he's not elect. So I asked the guy I was talking to that day, I said, how do you know? He said, well, I just feel it. I said, really? He said, yeah, I just feel it. And I said, well, you know, that's what the Charismatics do. They base everything on feelings. We base it on faith, on the word of God. By the word of God, you can know you're saved. You don't have any verse in there that will tell you how one can know that he's saved and the other one is not elected. and Therefore, he can never be saved. There's nothing in there like that. And believe me, as many times as I've read through the word of God, I think I would have caught it at least once. I mean, I've read the Bible through it at least once every year since 1974. Sometimes two, three, and four times a year. And I still haven't found it. I'm either the dumbest rock in the pile or it's not there. My preference is to think it's not there. Okay? Now, so they say there with irresistible grace, but the Bible tells them how to get saved. And their spirit... Has to be regenerated. Before they can be saved. No. Regeneration comes at salvation. It comes at salvation. Being justified by faith. We have peace with God. Not being justified by election. We have peace with God. By faith. By faith. Well. Well. Of the tulip, we've seen T, total depravity, U, unconditional election, L, limited atonement, I, irresistible grace, and the last is P, perseverance of the saints. Okay, again, their definition. Those whom God hath elected cannot finally fall from the grace of God, but shall eternally persevere to the end and be eternally saved. You say, well, hey, that sounds like eternal security. No, it's not. No, it's not. I am kept by Jesus Christ, and no man can pluck me out of his hand. No man. Salvation put me in his hand, nobody else's. As a matter of fact, I don't have it in my pocket, so I can hold, say, well, I've got it, and I'm, I'm holding on to it. No, I couldn't hold on to it if it was up to me. It's up to Jesus Christ. We're kept by him, Jude 24 tells us. We're kept by him. And so, it has misled a lot of people. A few years ago, John MacArthur wrote a book on lordship salvation. His premise comes through this doctrine, loud and strong you messed up, you fell into immorality or something, then you probably weren't saved. Now, I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I just believe that you probably weren't saved, even though you made that decision. Okay? And so that you you probably weren't saved to begin with. Maybe you messed up in morals. Maybe you messed up some other way. And by the way, let me just go off to the side for just a moment, staying in the Scriptures, but just to the side a little bit, just for a moment. Uh, Is sowing discord in the Bible, and isn't that related to gossip, fault-finding, and things of that nature? Yes. The Bible uses the word in Hebrew for that that's translated abomination. Makes God just terribly sick to his stomach. The same word he uses for homosexuality. Now, a person sowing discord, a gossip, people that go around doing these things, they don't feel like I'm as bad as a homosexual, but it's not how they feel. It's what it is in God's sight. God's sight, you're on the level of a homosexual. Wow. So, if you gossiped, evidently you weren't saved to begin with. Oh, a preacher, I don't see it. Well, it doesn't matter how you sit. it. We're just taking what you say you believe. You're either kept by Christ or you're going to persevere. And if you're going to persevere, you're going straight to hell. Again, it's not the perseverance of the saints uh, to remain saved, but rather it's the keeping of our Lord. David, I mean, he murdered Had Uriah killed, murder? Adultery with Bathsheba? Lied, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire? I'd say that's a little bit ornery, don't you? And and here's a guy that had terrible sin. That's not persevering to me. But what did he pray? Restore to me the joy He didn't say restore my salvation, he said restore to me the joy of my salvation, why? Because our Lord keeps, not us, not us. Now look, perhaps some people won't agree with this, but God's word never changes. Ours is to develop a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ after our salvation that's growing. Uh, People like to call it, uh, the, the theologians like to call it progressive sanctification. Sounds good, makes you feel intelligent, but actually it's just growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Growing in his word. Getting to know him more intimately. And as you grow in the Lord and you're obedient to the Lord, then you won't be saved so as by fire. Okay, you'll have rewards laid up. You won't be counting the loss as much as somebody else will be counting the loss. Rewards that were already there for men, but they lost out on them. Now, most of us can understand that. Usually, there's not an argument about that. Well, why is there then, on election, when these people see they lost out on election, they lost out on the blood Because they did not receive Christ as their Savior. Now, when I got saved, I got as much of the Holy Ghost as the Apostle Paul did. And if you're saved, you did too. Every saved person has 100% of the Holy Ghost. That's not the problem. The problem is, how much of you does the Holy Ghost have? You see, there's a problem when we won't go out and knock on doors, when we won't go out and witness, we won't uh, share the gospel with other people, witness the gospel, whatever. There are things when we won't separate from the world and we begin to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness and say, well, I really don't think that's bad. You know, that's, that's legalism. Why do they want to always call things legalism? Have you ever thought about that? The law said in Leviticus, uh, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. Well, if I'm going to love my neighbors myself, that's that's legalistic, because that was in the law. See, anytime they're trying to say, I've got liberty for this, God's grace allows me to do this, it always pertains to the flesh, not the spirit. You and I are called to walk in the spirit. The devil is using Calvinism to deceive multitudes. Forty percent in the Southern Baptist seminaries. Much of our independent works now are getting invaded by it. And it's, it's spreading like a cancer. And we need to know the word, what the word says. That is why I've shared with you their five points. But what the, I've also given you what the Bible says. And there is a great difference. Go with God. Go with God. Your Sunday school teachers will be teaching in the next uh, seven weeks, eight weeks, they'll be teaching on the various words used by Calvinists and what the Bible says. Take notes. Listen in there. Don't listen to argue. Don't listen to find fault. Listen to learn. Because this is a war. Anytime America's gone to war, they don't sit there and say, well, let's try to understand the enemy, why they hate us, and why they're attacking us. No, we prepare to go and defeat them. And in the same manner, as the Satan is attacking with this weapon, he uses carnal weapons, let's use spiritual weapons. The word of God It's a sword. Faith, trusting the word of God, and speak it as thus saith the Lord. And then we'll find out in your personal life there's victory in Jesus. You don't have to be saved so as by fire. And that day is going to be soon that we appear before him. And when we do, wouldn't it be better to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, than to be ashamed at his appearing. Let's bow our heads, please.